0: Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform.
1: Welcome to Episode 4. My name is Michael Howard, and with me this week I have Mark Symos and Sarah Young. Uh, unfortunately, Gladys couldn't make it this week. Um, we wish you the very best, and uh, we hope to see you next time. And we also have some special guests from the Cosmos DB team. We have Thomas Weiss and Tony Vellum. Uh, but before we get into Cosmos DB, uh, Mark and Sarah, let's go through the news this last couple of weeks. So, Mark, what do you uh, what do you have on your plate?
2: Yeah, a couple things. Uh, a couple things caught my eye, and uh, and some other things are sort of interesting uh, internal discussion topics that we're thinking about for guidance. The the things that I noticed was the IoT Private Link uh, is is available. So, essentially, Private Link is a um, uh, the ability to instead of having these, you know, what are commonly called PaaS services, um, you know, all two, 300, 400, or from whatever they are in Azure, I've lost count. <laughs> but instead of having them, you know, have to go over publicly routable IP addresses, you know, still over the Azure network, but over the, the public IP addresses, the private link capability, which is a, a progression of some previous technologies, um, service endpoints and whatnot, allows you to essentially put an uh, IP for that service directly into a subnet and then control the routing over it. For folks that are used to like the network security, you know, routing and firewall paradigms, it's uh, you know, a, a good control, a familiar control, something they're comfortable with. So we're seeing this roll out across a, a lot of different services, um, I believe Cosmos DB included. Um, and so um, the IoT private link uh, is now generally available, so fully available, not in preview anymore. And so that was kind of a cool thing. And then the, the custom roles recently. they, uh, they updated the portal there, you know, so that it's a lot easier to manage and, um, and update those custom roles. We always do recommend, you know, best practices wise, of course, start with a you know built-in role if possible, because the more you go custom, the more you go tailored, the more you have to support that. Um, so we always recommend starting with built-in if that works. But, you know, we don't want to give people, you know, global admin uh, if they don't need it. So, you know, specify those roles to get that least privilege going. So those are the two things I picked up on the news side. Um, the other thing, which is a little bit more of an internal discussion right now, we're trying to build some guidance around this. Was you know we're starting to realize that there's there's an interesting journey as people update their apps. Usually it starts with a lift and shift, you know, kind of migrate your existing on-premise stuff, and you know some net new development, you know, in the sort of pure PaaS space. But a lot of times that sort of original case of the IaaS piece, people are still updating and maintaining those apps, and, and they start refactoring to take advantage of all of the different you know, past services and capabilities in Azure. You know, I was starting to think about how do we map out that journey, and what do those architectures look like as people progressively change out the, you know, the back-end databases, and then into the logic and, and presentation tiers. And you know, Sometimes they do it the other way around, but that's the usual way and sort of how do we map those security controls there and make it easy for people to really quickly design? So that's that's sort of what's top of mind for me.
1: Very cool. So uh, there's been a lot going on around TLS support in various uh, database services within Azure. Um, so the last couple of weeks we've announced uh, SQL DB, Azure Database for MariaDB, MySQL, and PostgreSQL all support a minimum TLS 1.2 version. That's an option that you can set. Uh, by default, that's not enforced, but you can set it so that the TLS version is 1.2 or better, which is a fantastic for compliance purposes, especially uh, especially for PCI DSS, you know, PCI being the payment card industry compliance program, uh, where they require TLS 1.2. So that's a great way of um, helping comply with that. Also, MySQL just announced a preview for Bring Your Own Key Support for encryption of data at rest. Uh, which is, you know, again, coming in in line with a lot of other uh, database products that we have uh, within Azure. Uh, One thing that really caught my eye, because I've been doing a lot of work over the last uh, couple of weeks uh, in Azure Key Vault, is Azure Key Vault now supports bring your own key support. Now you may think, well, hang on, you know, can I always bring my own key? Well, yeah, but one of the the problems there is if you're bringing a key in from another hardware security module, an HSM, historically, we could bring them in from you know, its own brand. Uh, That was relatively straightforward, but now we've come up with uh, a format and a way of importing keys, private keys uh, from other hardware vendors. Uh, So that's now available. Um, And finally, uh, HD Insight has uh, announced a whole bunch of security enhancements, uh, including enforcing TLS 1.2 and higher. They've also announced customer managed key support uh, using Azure Key Vault for data encryption of data at rest. And also multi-factor authentication. Uh, so they've they really uh, you know addressed a lot of security issues in, in in one one update, which is which is great to see. I sort of talked about Key Vault. Um, I, I posted a a, a blog post uh, last week about Key Vault. Some really interesting sort of observations around encryption and decryption of data in Key Vault, because you can actually use Key Vault to do essentially low-level cryptographic operations such as signing and. Uh, key wrapping and encryption and decryption all uses asymmetric keys, but I found that there's an RBAC policy to encrypt, and it was never being enforced. In other words, my account did not have the ability to encrypt, but I could encrypt. This kind of got me a little bit interested. It's like, what, you know, what the heck's going on here? So I had a good good chat with some friends of mine in the Key Vault team, and I ended up writing a blog post on it. It's an interesting little story. Uh, It does require a little bit of experience and knowledge around asymmetric encryption uh, or asymmetric cryptography in general. But once you read it, it will give you a much better insight into both how RBAC policies work and how asymmetric crypto works uh, with relevance to to Azure Key Vault. So, Sarah, what have you got for us?
0: Well, this this time around, uh, my thing that I want to talk about is all things Azure Monitor and Log Analytics. Firstly, um, I'm gonna talk about the one that I've actually been working with the last couple of weeks, which is private link for Azure Monitor. Now, some just to explain to anyone who's not too familiar, because um, it can be a bit confusing, Azure Monitor is our overall monitoring platform as a service that we provide in Azure. And a part of Azure Monitor is log analytics. When we say um, we have Azure Private Link for Azure Monitor is now available, that's also for log analytics. So, again, if you're not familiar with Private Link, Private Link is a way, is something that we offer for our different PaaS services in order for you to be able to connect in, To a private link within the Azure cloud rather than hitting a public endpoint. It's available for quite a lot of Azure PaaS services now. It's very cool. Literally, in the last couple of days, I've been having a look at it for some customers I've been working with. And it means that you can keep everything in the cloud and not have to hit a public endpoint if you want to connect up to log analytics, which is very cool because there are variety of different reasons customers don't want to use public endpoints and so it's again just giving people more options so that's my first one just a note on that at the time of recording this you do need to um, sign up for it Um, it's not fully there by default so if you if you go and try it out it will actually um, ask you to um, fill in a form to get access to it but it is available And then secondly, moving on to more Azure Monitor, it's also now in preview in the U.S. government region. So not my part of the world at all, but it's something that wasn't in the U.S. government region. So if you're listening and you have things in the U.S. government region in Virginia, um, you can now go use Azure Monitor. And Azure Monitor is really cool because it does logging. It does, unsurprisingly, monitoring, um, and that's for VMs. And well, I don't know. I, I just I just really like it, and so I'm glad that now um, if you're using stuff in government in Azure, you can use Azure Monitor. And then my last monitor log analytics thing this time is. Uh, we've extended the signing date for the Log Analytics agent. Now, the Log Analytics agent is a, a small agent that you deploy to a VM, um, either on premise or uh, it can be in the cloud. And what it does is it sends logs to a Log Analytics workspace. We're actually going to um, we're actually going to deprecate any kind of signing that's not SHA2. Uh, On the 17th of August. So at the time we're recording this, that's still two months away um, because the original date was May the 18th. But we've extended this because more customers needed time to prepare. So essentially what it means is that if you're not using sha 2 signing on your Log Analytics agent by the um, 17th of August, your log analytics agent is going to stop sending things to your log analytics workspace. Really, the change is only—you um, shouldn't have to change anything unless you're using legacy OS versions like Windows 7, Windows Server 2008, etc. And by the way, if you're using those, please, please go and upgrade them as well. <laughs> um, but you know, if if that does apply to you, you need to go apply some uh, service updates and patches. Otherwise, your agent's going to stop sending things, which you probably don't want because you're going to lose visibility. So still two months to go um, if, if you can. Uh, but as a minimum, go and apply these updates so you can use SHA-2. That's my, uh, that's my complete Azure Monitor and log analytics thing for this time.
1: Hey, so I have to tell you something about Azure Monitor. So this is story time with Michael. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. So I'm a huge Azure Monitor fan as well. And as we all know, Sort of pseudo programming language that's used is called Cousteau, K U S T O. And I've been a diver since I was uh, 12 years old. And so I was always brought up on a diet of Jacques Cousteau. So when I saw this thing called Cousteau come along, it wasn't spelt the same way. I'm like, man, I wonder if that's named after Jacques Cousteau. And then I just let, let it drop. And then one day I was looking at some sample code and it was basically doing a, a date time delta. And it was the time delta was Jacques Cousteau's birthday between his birthday and his death. At that point, I'm like, you know what? It is absolutely, it's gotta be named after Jacques Cousteau. And so I emailed one of my friends on the Azure Monitor team who said, yeah, it's named after Cousteau. And it's basically diving into the depths of data. That's uh, that's where the Cousteau uh, name came from. So completely worthless piece of information, but, but there
2: that's you go. That's awesome, I had no idea.
1: Anyway, absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with, with Cosmos, Cosmos DB. Um, Or anything else that we've really spoken about. So with that, it's a nice segue over to Thomas Weiss and Tony Vellum, uh, both on the Cosmos DB team. Uh, Gentlemen, would you like to just spend a couple of moments just introducing yourselves and uh, what you do on the Cosmos DB team?
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. And first of all, thank you so much for having us on the show. Uh, So I am a a program manager. My name is Thomas Weiss, by by the way. I'm the Thomas uh, uh, from the CosmoDB team. Uh, Program manager in in the team. And to give you a little bit of background about myself, I've basically spent my entire career in in the software industry. Actually, my my very first job was uh, writing C code to implement uh, BSPs, board support packages for uh, embedded devices running the, the VxWorks operating system. I don't know if anyone here knows what VX works but uh, doesn't doesn't make me feel any any younger. Um, I guess the podcast is not about my career so fast forward to to where I am now. Uh, I've been with Microsoft and the the Azure Cosmos DB team for a little over a year now uh, and among the many topics I'm I'm, uh, in charge of I'm working on most of the security features uh, on Cosmos DB from a product management standpoint.
4: And hi, I'm Tony Vallum. I work with Thomas very closely on security. Um, we're the PM dev pair that that work on the features uh, and work with customers. Uh, I actually run two teams within Cosmos DB. I run the perf team and the security team. So I spend half my day speeding it up and half my day slowing it down. And just like Michael, I too was brought up on uh, Jacques Cousteau. And uh, you know, I have a career now keeping the sharks out of the water, so to speak.
1: So Cosmos DB, look, I'll be honest. I mean, I I have always been brought up on a on a on a diet of SQL Server. Um I the first time I used SQL Server was actually in the old landman days, running, I think it was like SQL Server 4.2, I think, on OS two. And I know a lot of our listeners will be familiar with SQL databases. So what it is what is it about Cosmos DB? Like what is it that sets Cosmos DB apart? When would you use Cosmos DB over say a, a relational
3: database? Cosmos DB has a lot of unique features, I would say. Uh, for someone who is completely new to Cosmos DB, we could introduce that product as being Microsoft's NoSQL offering on Azure, but that wouldn't be a good introduction either because I think the word NoSQL has lost most of its meaning over the years, or, or rather, you know, different people have, have different meaning for, for, for that word. So uh, the usual w- way I introduce Cosmos DB in terms of its characteristics, I usually, I usually use two attributes. The first one is horizontally scalable, the second one is uh, non-relational. And I think those two attributes actually characterize pretty, pretty well the difference between Cosmos DB and a, a relational database like, uh, like SQL Server. So let me just briefly brush brush on those, on those two attributes. Horizontally scalable means that whenever a Cosmos DB user needs more storage space or needs more performance, needs more throughput, what we do, what Cosmos DB does, is that we give those users uh, more servers and we kind of rebalance their data across their pool of servers Uh, and that's how we deliver more uh, disk space because we have more servers uh, dedicated to the usage of a particular user and also more compute in order to accommodate uh, the the performance requirements for that user Uh, and that's typically what we call scaling out right as opposed to scaling up uh, which addresses the, the same uh, the, the same needs, but by um, you know adding more CPU or more memory to just one single machine. And uh, usually it's you, you scale a relational database by scaling up. Okay? Although I, I'm not saying that it's not possible to scale out uh, a solution that's running uh, on um, on a relational database. But um, my point here is that uh, the horizontal horizontal scalability is uh, very deeply rooted in Cosmos DB's DNA. Okay? The, the service has been designed and built from the ground up to take uh, horizontal scalability uh, into account. Uh, and so much that uh, whenever you create a Cosmos DB collection, you know, which is basically the container that's going to, to host your data, uh, we ask you to provide a partition key. We, we ask you for that hint that will help us distribute your data across multiple servers once once we start scaling out. So I think one, one important thing to understand is that whenever you're using Cosmos DB, most likely your data is going to be spread across multiple physical servers, Okay, well, unless you work on a very trivial example, but most of the time this is going to be the case. And so you have to understand that that Cosmos DB collection that you are interacting with, it's a kind of abstraction. On top of on top of a cluster of multiple servers, the magic that Cosmos DB does is automatic sharding, right? Because your data does sit across multiple physical servers, but you don't have to to care about how the data is spread. Because by using that hint, by, by using that partition key that you give us when you create your Cosmos DB resource, we automatically balance your data uh, across across that that cluster of servers that that is dedicated to your usage. So that's the first attribute. Second one is non-relational. Sometimes that that one is probably a bit uh, easier to understand. In a non-relational database like Cosmos DB, you cannot define and enforce uh, relational constraints between the, the entities that you store in the database. Okay, so for people who come from a relational background, things like foreign keys and you know cross-table joins uh, and you know cascade deletes, those are things you, that you cannot do. Uh, in Cosmos DB. In the Cosmos DB model, you store JSON documents into those collections, and that's pretty much it. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible to uh, implement a relational data model on top of of, of Cosmos DB, that's certainly possible. And uh, I guess, Michael, I will add to the show notes uh, links to to some uh, conference talks I have given on on that topic. Uh, But uh, the thing to understand is that in order to uh, materialize uh, relationships uh, between entities uh, in in Cosmos DB, you have to to resort to different uh, data modeling techniques.
1: Interesting. So you say, you know, you got this relational model, and this is not the relational model, yet we have SQL APIs, right? So one thing that kind of makes Cosmos DB a little unique is there's multiple API sets into Cosmos
3: DB. That's right. That's right. And so before I, I uh, dive into the different APIs and also to, to, to finish, you know, brushing up the the, the the big picture of what Cosmos DB is, uh, we have those two main attributes that I've also covered. On top of that, we have also... We have also uh what i like to call our our landmark features you know those are features that we as a product group are very very proud to have on the product we have a turnkey global distribution for example if your requirement is to have your data spread across multiple data centers multiple azure regions it's as easy as going to the azure portal Uh, we display a little world map you click on the azure regions where you expect the data to be and you hit save and that's it i mean we we try to make it easier than that but it's just not possible that's one thing we have we have a very high performance storage engine and indexing engine we have a nice set of comprehensive SLAs that cover uh, not not only the availability of the service, like you know any any online service does, but also SLAs financially backed SLAs that do cover the the performance you get from from Cosmos DB. And so getting to your point about the multiple APIs, what's uh, interesting with Cosmos DB is that all those benefits, all those you know strong features I've just covered, we expose them uh, to our customers and users through different APIs. And so you can consume the very same you know goodness of our storage engine through different apis Uh, and so starting with the core api which is our native api uh, that's not really the the native api of of cosmos db sometimes called sql api as you mentioned uh, michael and the reason why it's it's uh, called like that is because our core api exposes a a sql dialect that looks very very similar to uh nc sql and so it's pretty easy for people coming from a relational background to jump into the the non-relational world uh, by using our, our core api so that's, that's, again, that's our native API. But besides that, that native API, we have what we call interop APIs. And those are APIs that actually implement the wire protocol of different products and different vendors. So for example, we have one API that's compatible with MongoDB. Uh, and again, we implement the MongoDB, we do implement the MongoDB wire protocol, which means that you can use the very same MongoDB drivers and SDKs and tools that you usually use with vanilla MongoDB to interact with our API that is compatible with MongoDB. So same goes for Cassandra. We have a Cassandra compatible API. Uh, we also have the Gremlin API that is a bit apart. Uh, that API is here for situations where you need to model your, your data as a graph and issue, you know, queries that work that graph. And so yeah, we have that that uh, nice uh, spectrum of APIs that customers take, can can pick depending on depending on where they come from, right? So uh, sometimes customers just migrate existing workloads from, let's say, MongoDB or Cassandra, and so the natural choice is the corresponding interop APIs. Or sometimes we deal with customers who just have, you know, a lot of internal skills uh, that they want to leverage in, in one of those existing products. And so that's also a nice way for, for them to segue into, into Cosmos DB. Tony, anything, anything um, I've missed here?
4: I think one thing I would just follow up on here is, as you're looking at the comparison between SQL Server and Cosmos DB, one of the you know bigger differences is Cosmos DB was born in the cloud. And so you'll find a lot of deep integrations across Azure where we make lots of things very simple. Like you could, you know, add a database, you know, document in the Cosmos DB and it will automatically trigger a logic app to app, which will then go send an email to your phone. And so some of the fundamental differences really just come down to programmability. I mean, any is at some point Turing complete, it's just how much work do you have to do to actually get to the functionality that you would like to have.
1: Yeah, I I think you bring up an important point there. Um, I mean, as someone who has used SQL Server for a long time, one thing I've noticed, when you're using SQL Server on Azure, you're you're often thinking to yourself, okay, is that a SQL thing or is that an Azure thing? Um, So moving on to Build. So Microsoft Build was a few weeks ago now. It's our premier developer conference. This time it was held all remotely remotely. Uh, the videos are all are all available, and uh, there are some announcements made by the Cosmos DB team uh, around encryption. So, can you give us the lowdown on what those announcements were?
3: Absolutely. One of the main announcements uh, when when it comes to security uh, that we did at, at build uh, was the the general availability of uh, encryption at rest with uh, customer managed keys. Uh, not to to give a bit of background and and context here encryption at rest is not a new feature on on cosmos db and for many years now uh, cosmos db has been uh, encrypting the data of our customers uh, but with what we call service managed keys right which are encryption keys that are automatically and transparently managed by microsoft Uh, and i think this is you know one of the way that we deliver one of the promises of the cloud which is you know we have less 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 stuff to do and we do for you uh, those tasks that are you know maybe hard maybe repetitive or maybe boring so um uh, and this is th- that encryption address is owned by default for you know any any account that is created on cosmos db the thing is that default encryption address with with service managed keys is sometimes th- is sometimes not enough for some customers and uh, especially you know in some specific industries uh, like uh, the financial services industry or the telcos government institu- institutions those are industries where our customers uh, need to comply with very specific regulations and and compliance requirements you know within that extra set of requirements they have to address they need to actually have control over the encryption that happens on the disk the encryption at rest and those are situations where basically the encryption key used for the encryption at rest has to be managed by the customer hence the name customer managed keys so um that's what we have built uh you know over the past year and and that's now generally available for any of our customers tony i think anything to add on the encryption at rest Overall, I
4: I think you covered it really well, which is we have two layers of encryption always when using customer managed keys. Um, We took a really strategic standpoint early on in that we know customers can make mistakes with turning on a feature or accidentally turning off a feature. And we wanted to make sure no matter what happened that they were covered. And the same thing is true of us. We, you know, it's possible we could make a mistake at some point, you know, with encryption. We take a lot of care to make sure this never happens, but if a customer has keys on that they manage and we have keys on that we manage, now we have safety because we have defense in depth.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So I actually have a couple of sort of related questions. So one thing that Cosmos DB has always prided itself is, as you sort of already alluded to, is uh, service level agreements, the SLAs, especially the right performance SLAs. So now you're doing crypto, how does it impact the SLAs?
3: Yeah, I think that, that that's really a great question. And, and I got the same question from, from our customers directly, because uh, it's it's very public, I mean, if you look at our docs, we explicitly tell that customer managed keys, I mean, the encryption that is done with customer managed keys is a second layer of encryption over the default encryption, right? And 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 by the way, this is a way for us to deliver double encryption, which is, you know, sometimes required by those same regulations. And so uh, we do have customers who wonder, well, you know, uh, you are going to burn some extra CPU cycles whenever you, I do anything on Cosmos DB. So is this uh, going to affect that uh, low latency SLA that I get uh, because, what you get guaranteed on Cosmos DB is that whenever you write or read uh, a document that is less than one kilobyte, we do guarantee that, that that operation succeeds in less than 10 milliseconds. And so customers were wondering whether Customized Keys uh, does you know violate that, 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 that SLA or is it still enforced? And uh, the answer is that no, actually it doesn't have any impact on our SLAs. And uh, um, the main reason for that is that back when we set those SLAs up, we calibrated them with extra room because we knew that you know at some point we would have to introduce some some changes and, and some enhancements on uh, the the encryption at rest story, so we made some room for you know some some extra CPU cycles to uh, take care of the encryption and decryption that happens whenever you uh, perform an operation on Cosmos DB. And so I'm very happy to say that uh, using uh, custom managed keys on Cosmos DB actually doesn't have any impact on on our SLAs.
1: Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I mean I know Cosmos DB really prides itself in those um, in those SLAs. So my next question is: so how is this similar or not? to SQL Server's transparent data encryption?
4: It was based on learnings from TDE. So the transparent data encryption in SQL is more like the layer two encryption that we have in Cosmos DB, the customer managed key. But we actually spent quite a bit of time with the SQL team, learning from them, learning what they did, and then from there going and, and taking and creating our implementation. And so it's similar but different, um, but it's based on the learnings that we had there. So. Both of them, you can bring in your own key. They're both, you know, allowing the customer to control the key. What's different about Cosmos DB is we left in place a layer below, which was the encryption at rest with service managed keys. That's the primary big difference.
1: So if someone does pull a key, so you know, I've got I've got my key in Key Vault, and I've got you know, my customer managed key in Key Vault, and I'm encrypting my Cosmos DB um, volume. Is there a time? between the key being pulled and the data now being pure ciphertext? I mean, is there a delay there or is it instantaneous? And what sort of trade-offs do you have to make there to
3: make it viable? Uh, One thing to know uh, is that we we do have Azure-wide SLAs for such operations, right? And for example, what Azure says is that the the revocation of an encryption key has to take effect in less than one hour. And this applies to any Azure service. So any service running on Azure has to comply with those SLAs or do better if if, if they can, and and, you know, uh, long story short, we we do better, Uh, but that's that's the uh, Azure-wide benchmark. So as I mentioned, actually, we do better than that uh, because uh, we check the availability of the encryption keys at a much higher frequency, and and I guess Tony can get into more details.
4: Uh, In terms of pulling the keys, the Azure standard is roughly one hour, so one hour to detect and one hour to restore. Uh, You may find in Cosmos DB that this is, you know, slightly faster. Largely, we have these um, SLAs of an hour to prevent churn. And you could end up in a situation where one administrator pulls a key and another administrator tries to restore the key. And because Cosmos DB is sharded across, you know, thousands and thousands of machines, you could end up in a state where, you know, half the cluster has access to the data and half doesn't. We've taken a lot of steps to make sure you always get a consistent either everything works or everything is disabled state. And that was one of the reasons uh, in particular for the SLAs.
1: Since we're talking about crypto, I, I can't leave out the discussion of crypto without talking about client-side crypto. Uh, I mean, there are some customers um, who do require client-side cryptography. Is there any work in that area? You know, what recommendations do you have for customers today running Cosmos DB?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, we do have ongoing efforts regarding client-side encryption. And let, let me give you a bit of context and, and, and tell you more about the, the origin of these efforts. So the, the server-side encryption at rest with custom managed keys that we have just covered uh, so far, uh, they work at the Cosmos DB account level, which means that today we use one single encryption key to encrypt all the data that sits within the Cosmos DB account. And obviously, this isn't enough in, in the situations where you are building some kind of multi-tenant solution on Cosmos DB. So you are going to collocate the data from multiple tenants in, in you know, the same Cosmos DB containers and collections, and at the same Time you also need to provide custom match keys capability to those stands, and so uh, this is obviously uh, the situations where you would resort to a uh, client side encryption because uh, you would encrypt the data before sending it to Cosmos DB. Uh, so, what's interesting for us is that, uh, and you probably know that there are a lot of what we call first party customers using using Cosmos DB. We have a lot of very, uh, uh, you know, major uh, Microsoft services uh, running on Cosmos DB. One of them is Teams, Microsoft Teams, you know, the that tool that we are that all of us is using right now to, to record that, that, that podcast. And so Teams uh, came to us with that exact requirement, right? Uh, they, they are obviously a multi-tenant kind of solution built on Cosmos DB. And at some point, they, they need to uh, deliver customer managed keys capability to you know, Microsoft Teams uh, customers. We are working right now on those on some kind of SDK extensions that will let you encrypt a subset of the properties uh, within the JSON document that uh, you want to store uh, in, in Cosmos DB. And so this is encryption that is going to happen completely client-side, uh, before the document is actually uh, sent to Cosmos DB. Tell you more about where we are right now with respect to that efforts. We are focusing on those first party customers like Teams, and it's actually an excellent use case for us to start with because you know we have very close collaboration with them, and uh, it brings us a lot of clarity on you know what should be the first iteration and then where we should go next. Uh, but we are also obviously looking at exposing that feature to all our, our customers, something that uh, may land uh, later this year. Tony.
4: Yeah, client-side encryption really completes the arc that we started on quite a while ago. So we have the base level encryption where we do AES-256, you know, XTS, this is at the base level, system level that can't be turned off. Then we did the same thing in what we call the application tier of Cosmos DB, which is a completely different set of code and different code paths, where in a different set of algorithms where we use AES-256, either XTS or CBC to encrypt the data. And then we do the same thing in client-side encryption, which gives you the control in, inside the client. And today we only have one choice of algorithm that you can choose, which is AES 256. But we hope to extend that as well on the client side encryption. But it's like the ultimate control. It's gone from like you know, fully managed for you, truly a PaaS service, to you know customer managed keys, which is you know somewhat managed PaaS, which is cooperative to you know client-side encryption, which is really you have full control. And But, you know, with that comes great responsibility in that you're managing the keys, you're managing where the keys are stored, and you have great potential to, you know, really shard very well, but you can also do a lot of damage if you're not careful. And so for most customers, you know, they want more of a managed solution, but there are many really sophisticated customers that really need that ultimate control. And that's where client-side encryption comes in.
1: Yeah, I think you summed up that last point beautifully. Um, I've had more than one conversation with a customer Or customers, where I said, you know that they're your keys, right? We don't have the keys. Microsoft or Azure, we do not have the keys. If the keys are lost, there's nothing we can do. It's like yes, 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 we understand. So, like you say, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with uh, with those keys. On another topic, so we've sort of covered crypto. Crypto, actually, we've covered it beautifully. uh, Like you say, Tony. Uh, all the way from completely managed all the way through to a customer controlling basically every aspect of the crypto, including the keys. But then we've got networking, right? So another key aspect of security is network isolation. And uh, there were some announcements made there around uh, VNet and PrivateLink.
3: Yeah, that's correct. Another uh, key security announcement we made at the the Build conference a couple of weeks back is the uh, general availability of our private link integration And actually te- technically that feature has been uh, ga uh, since march this year but you know we wanted to take the opportunity of uh, you know that, that platform that build is uh, in order to kind of remind of our customers that that feature is now uh, generally available and they they, they they can start using it so as you probably know private link strictly speaking is not is not a cosmos db feature it's more of an azure networking feature is a way to actually expose uh, past services uh, like Cosmos DB to a virtual network through uh, IP addresses that are uh, private to those to those virtual networks. And so, this is now an integration that we have that we have uh, completely covered, and that kind of complements the different ways you can use in order to expose a Cosmos DB account uh, to a, to a virtual network. Uh, historically, we used to only support what we call uh, service endpoints, right? We, we, that what kind of they kind of achieve the same, which is plugging a Cosmos DB account uh, into a virtual network, but service endpoints uh, still use the public IP address of, of those Cosmos DB endpoints. And so, as I mentioned, private, private endpoints uh, use private IP addresses. And, and this is a feature that's usually very useful in situations where you want to uh, mitigate data exfiltration as you know, uh, use cases, right? Because uh, whenever you're using private endpoints, you can really isolate your virtual network from the outside, and any resource running into your uh, virtual network doesn't have to, end, doesn't need to have any kind of outside access. Tony, anything you would like to add uh, re- regarding uh, network isolation? You know, you're a
4: data nerd. When you're sitting there and you have a Cosmos DB account, and from your VM, you're, you know, you're running basic queries and looking at the IP address, and you get some, you know, 51. dot, you know, whatever type of address. You turn on private link, and dynamically, you literally see. This 10.0 address appear, and then you ping the resource, the Cosmos DB database, and it goes from this external IP to this internal IP, and you feel you just feel the safety all of a sudden. It's like now I know I'm really secure. There's no route for data exfiltration, you know, of my data in or out of you know this database. I'm truly secure, and so yeah, that's where you really know you're a data nerd.
1: It's a critically important defense, though. I mean, network isolation is something that's evolved over the years in Azure. Like you said, we had service endpoints prior to this, which can achieve some of the benefits of Link, but we've really come to a, a complete solution, I think, here with, with PrivateLink. Uh, the only downside, I'll you know, I'll sort of warn some of the listeners with PrivateLink, you know, it's relatively new, and not every PaaS service supports it just yet. So just be aware of that. But that being said, There's a lot of features coming online, past services that are coming online that are supporting um, private link. So that's covered. We've covered crypto and we've covered network isolation, which leaves us with authentication and authorization. So Cosmos DB is uh, kind of interesting in this area. It has its own little nuances. Uh, Would you care to sort of describe some of those nuances and perhaps where we're looking at going?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Th- thanks for thanks for that, Michael. And uh, again, let me rewind a little bit and give you some context about you know different ways you can use uh, to to connect to a Cosmos DB account. So if we look back uh, when we launched the service in 2015, and back then it was under the name of Document DB for for those of you who remember that, uh, our goal really was to enter the the NoSQL market, right? And, and again, NoSQL is not the best name, but uh, here uh, what I mean by NoSQL market is that ecosystem of uh, different uh, NoSQL engines out there. And when you look at that market when you look at that ecosystem in many situations uh using something like a master key which is you know just one one big secret that gives you access to anything in the database is just fine for for you know that that class of customers and that that class of, of workloads and actually if you look at other NoSQL products out there many of them are still run exclusively with that kind of authentication method right so you have one master key that you know the service provides to you that's one secret that you have to care about uh, but using that master key, you can access any any data that is uh, within the, the the account or within the database. And in the case of Cosmos DB, depending on how you have configured the database, you can even do some management operations like you know creating collections and creating database and and, and so on and so forth. I think looking back, it certainly wasn't a bad thing to start with only that you know that master key approach. And even today, I think we still have a very large portion of our customers that are just fine using the master key. I think I should also add that you know from the day we launched the service. Cosmos DB has always been secure by default, and and this is something I really want to emphasize here. You can't disable encryption in flight. Uh, You you, you cannot connect without the master key. I mean, uh, we never had a default admin account with no password, if if you know what I mean. So secure by default since the beginning, uh, but at the very beginning, the only way you could actually connect and authenticate, authorize your requests against Cosmos DB was using that master key. I think what's interesting is that Cosmos DB being an Azure service and, and you know basically a Microsoft product. Uh, it got a lot of exposure with enterprise customers. We started looking at that thing and say, Whoa, "Wow, wow, you know, global distribution and you know horizontal scalability that actually fits very well." my use cases, and we, we started to see a lot of adoption within uh, enterprise customers. And this is where actually we started to feel that, you know, that master key wasn't enough. And uh, especially for enterprise customers and especially for certain classes of scenarios, our customers were uh, expecting a more fine-grained access control uh, to, the, to the data they, they are storing in Cosmos DB. The first step we took towards, you know, better role-based access control in Cosmos DB is something that's called uh, resource tokens and um, so this is a feature that has been available also for for many years now the the idea behind resource tokens is that we have introduced the concept of a cosmos db user Uh, so what you can do is use use our apis to create users within cosmos db so i'm not talking about you know active directory users at all this is a concept that is really native to cosmos db but you can create users at at the cosmos db uh, database level and then you can assign specific permissions to those users you can say user a can only read collection X and write to collection Y. Uh, and, and actually, we, are, we, we have a pretty fine-grained set of permissions uh, with, uh, with resource tokens. You can, you can actually grant uh, permissions down to the individual document level. And so uh, once you have created users and assigned permissions to those users in Cosmos DB, the last thing you do is that you uh, you issue resource tokens for each of those permissions. You can get a resource token and then use that resource token in place of the master key when you connect to Cosmos DB. Obviously, a, a much better RBAC experience for customers who look at you know finer finer grain access control, but still some caveats. You know, and I want to be very transparent here. Uh, we do know that resource tokens. Uh, is not the the ultimate answer, and it's it's not the perfect answer in some situations. We do know that uh, there are some gaps uh, with the way today you can or cannot do role-based access control uh, with Cosmos DB. I would say the main caveats we have with source tokens is that uh, there is no integration with Azure Active Directory, right? And what some of our customers are looking for is centralized RBAC, right? They want to use their Active Directory identities across the board, not only in, you know, SQL Server or any other Azure service, but also Cosmos DB and have a very centralized experience when it comes to... um, to access control uh, across the board. Good news is, and very pleased to share with uh, with our listeners today, uh, that we uh, this is something that we are actively working on right now, uh, pretty much as we speak, uh, with the goal to deliver a data plane role-based access control that leverages Active Directory. Uh, and so basically the idea is that instead of using that master key you will i mean customers would do want to take that route they can for- completely forget about the master key and uh, connect uh, to cosmos db using an ad identity and then cosmos db will leverage i mean will do all the heavy lifting in order to uh, authenticate and authorize the requests uh, based on the on the active directory identity so this is you know, a major feature that I'm super excited about, uh, obviously something that a lot of, I mean, many of our key customers have been, have been asking for for quite some time. I'm so glad that uh, we are going to address that within this year. I, don't want to, I, I cannot, uh, unfortunately, be more precise on the timeline uh, because we are still flushing out the details of when, when we will launch the preview and when that thing may go uh, GA. But uh, first bits of that feature are definitely going to land this year. A lot of customers have
1: been asking for essentially data plane access control mechanisms, and uh, I think this is this is just fantastic to hear. It really, really is. Uh, and to use a term that Tony just mentioned, it sort of completes the arc uh, yes. as you know, um, as far as uh, in this case data plane authentication and authorization. That's uh, that's really good. Absolutely. Um, although I do have to admit, saying s- s- admin account with no password, that's not a that wouldn't be a subtle dig at SQL Server, would it? <laughs> No, the, no, no, of course not. Absolutely, absolutely. not. So that leads us to um, one last last topic, which is is logging, right, and auditing, and event monitoring, and so on. So, what's the, uh, you know, how do you guys do that today?
4: This is an area, Michael, that the team is really proud of. Um, being born in the cloud, we literally integrated logging and monitoring everywhere. You can audit every access. You do a read, you can get a logging record. You do a write, you can get a record. You do a query, you can get a record. We have features that allow you to get the full text query if you so choose for the request that was made. We tell you things like what IP did it come from, how long did it take, how many bytes were returned to the user. And on top of this system, teams like ATP have actually put out in beta uh, uh, advanced threat protection, ATP have put out, you know, uh, detection mechanisms for like data egress from Cosmos DB or anomalous access. And that's something that's still embedded inside the portal, you can turn it on. You can also build the same thing if you have your own SIEM system. This is the uh, security event and information management system where you can actually take all the logging events we generate today and write your own algorithms to figure out what's going on inside your enterprise. And not only did we do this for you know, data plane operations, we did the same thing for control plane operations. So today in Azure, you get something called the activity log. And in the activity log, you can see things like Thomas has set a firewall rule, but it doesn't tell you what rule was set or what was changed within the firewall. We went one step further and into the Azure logging mechanisms, we actually log out the details of who actually you know, made the change? What was actually changed? And so we, we extended the activity log events um, in addition to the data plane events. So we're quite proud of this
2: work.
1: Again, I, I don't think people can belittle or downplay the fact that Cosmos DB was designed, built in the cloud, and that really shows in the management of the system. I find Cosmos DB a pleasure to use and a, a pleasure to develop against. Um, although I must admit, almost all my work has been against the sql api but so um, mark uh, any comments from you before we wrap this thing up
2: yeah i just wanted to echo a, a few things um and i'm sure sarah's going to jump in about um if you're going to have a sim or seem depending on how you pronounce it definitely look at azure sentinel i want to echo a comment you made uh, earlier in passing you know i think it was referring to the you know kind of doing it across thousands of servers in the back end and the thing that I found that's so fascinating about cloud services like Cosmos DB and so many others that we have is just the sheer scale it takes to be able to to get this up and running and consistent across you know the globe. And and there's a lot of like difficult engineering work to figure out how to scale it. But at the end of the day, it makes things so much easier um, because our customers don't have to figure out how to do that you know a hundred times over, ten thousand times over, etc. And so that's that's just one of the things that I've I've found as I've sort of learned more and more about the cloud space and and Azure is just it's just so fascinating how different it is to do things at cloud scale than what we're used to with, you know, rack and stack and a 19 inch rack installing the OS and then the database and whatever. It's just it's such a different um, dynamic than what I kind of grew up on.
1: Couldn't agree more, to be honest with you. Sarah, any final thoughts from you?
0: Oh, so many final thoughts. But um, in the interest of time, I mean, I just want to echo what's already been said here. Um, I mean, Sentinel is my baby. But um, in general, just we said using cloud-based services and the way we can scale and we don't have to worry about performance in the same way that we did on-premise. And actually, uh, as things scale up and out as required, um, it's really interesting to see how we've applied that to all different things in the security stack, including seams. But yeah, I I probably don't want to go any further into that today. That's probably another episode (laughs) that I could fill all by myself.
1: Yeah. Hey, so look, I want to wrap this up now. Thomas and Tony, thank you so much. Uh, I know I can say, from my perspective anyway, I actually learned a lot about Cosmos DB security. Some very exciting new uh, capabilities coming out uh, shortly, you know, this year. And I know a lot of customers are looking forward to seeing those, uh, those new security capabilities as well. So with that, I'll bring this to an end. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And with that, we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixer.org and licensed under the Creative Commons license.